I don't know if Eddie mentioned it. He mentioned the decorating. Appreciate all the women led by uh, Kim. There are a lot of names to mention there, but really want to thank the women. I love the seasonal decorating. How many love the seasonal decorating? Get you excited, get your first cool day here in the fall, and so I'm ready. I'm ready for the cooler days. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Uh, Judges chapter 3, it says this. It says, these are the nations left to test all the, those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Now think about that. These are the nations that God left to test the Israelites who had never been in war in Canaan. So they hadn't experienced it yet. So God left these nations. It says in parentheses, an editor's note, he did this to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. And then he lists the nations that were left there to test them and teach them the battle. And it's the five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains, were Mount Baal, Hermon, uh, Talibo, Hamath. They were left to test. It says it again. There's a lot of repetition here. He left them to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. So Moses is a forefather here. It's a pretty good period of time before Moses uh, warned them about this coming. He told them exactly what was going to happen many years before, and now he's one of their forefathers. And it says, Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they, meaning those nations, took their daughters in marriage, and they gave their own daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak your message, Lord. Help me, Lord. Your message, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> also look at um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. You don't have to turn there. It's a very familiar scripture. Oh, we'll have to turn there. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, when we study this and we begin to look at these nations, it's not about the people. It's not about the evil and the evil people that are around you. It's about, like Mike was talking about, demonic forces that would like to destroy and crush your faith. They would like to destroy every human being that's around you. They would like to uh, damage God's ability to bless anybody's life. And uh, God has, has he brought us out of that life for a purpose. 
God didn't bring us out of Egypt, out of slavery to sin. God didn't save us to leave us in the middle of a wilderness. God didn't save us to stay in that place. God saved us to acquire blessing from God. God acquired, God, God took us as a possession because He wanted to bless the people around you. God wants us to advance and God is, uh, there's one point there when they were coming out of exit, out of the exodus out of Egypt and God said He took them another direction because they weren't quite ready to fight yet. And He wanted to prepare them. And here's what God is saying. Enemy's not going anywhere. We're going to have to confront the enemy. The enemy's not just going to look at you and say, well, I better move because here they come. You got to tell them to move. You got to stand there in the Spirit of God and they will move, but you got to stand. You got to be willing to, um, face the enemy. You got to be not afraid of the enemy. You've got to have faith to overcome the enemy or the enemy will overcome you. There's no in between. There's no, well, I don't want to fight. You know, I just, uh, if, if you decide you don't want to fight, the enemy will overtake you because it's a powerful enemy. Demonic forces are too powerful for us without the Spirit of God. And so the, the title of my message is Raising Up Leaders. You know the book of Judges is actually really the best word that we can come up with in our language to be equivalent to this word judges is leaders. Because they really were like military spiritual leaders. And that's about the only word I can think of in our language that would be equivalent. That book really should be called the book of leaders so we understand it. Because this is a dark period of time in Israel's history. There's darkness all around them. There's evil all around them. There's enemies that are trying to overcome them. And God raised up people in the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be leaders. And so this book is called the book of leaders. But here's what's amazing. If you stick with me to the end of this, you're going to see three amazing people. These these leaders that God raised up, there's 12 of them. And God is trying to give an example of the 12 different geographical areas of that nation, different leaders that God raised up to overcome the enemy because the people needed it. The people around you need a spiritual leader. And and it's amazing. Um, It varies the amount of time that they were blessed by that spiritual leader Some were blessed for 40 years because of one spiritual leader. Some were blessed for 80 years because of one spiritual leader. And I want you to begin to think about your spiritual genealogy. I want you to begin to think about how you came to know God. Because I will guarantee you there are spiritual leaders in your life that overcame enemies because you knew them. You know, somebody, I know in my case, between the ages of 8 and 14, my mom and dad started to serve the Lord. One side of my family was known um, to clean the taverns out, fist fighting, brawling, drinking, everything you can imagine. That's what the heritage was of my family. The other side of the family wasn't much better. They owned taverns in Evansville and ran the taverns. But somehow, God got a hold of their life, and at the age of eight, I went to church. And because of that spiritual leaders that came into my life from eight to 14, that example that I had for those six years, I've had peace from the enemy. 
I've overcame the enemy because my spiritual heritage had a leader in a period of life, time in my life. So that might be 40, that might be 80 years, depending on how long I live, because there was a spiritual leader in my life. And this is the book of leaders. So wait, it's going to blow you away when you see who God raises up as leaders. You say, well, man, that's pretty bad. Your, your group of leaders, these guys were worse. When you see the guys that God raised up in this book, and you say, man, I wouldn't have chose that guy. But God raised them up, and there was peace from the enemy because they overcame the enemy in their life. And so let me take you back just a little bit and see what's happening here. God is showing us as an example the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are going through growth. They're growing and maturing in the Lord. And as they grow, each stage is almost an example of what God takes us through as a as a Christian. And so you see them first. They're coming out of Egypt and they've got a mind. Of, of, of they've been oppressed their whole life. You know, they've been slaves for generations. They don't know a single family member that was not a slave. Maybe the only one in the whole nation that wasn't was Moses. You know, He was somehow spared of being a slave because he was raised in the palace. So they... Moses is commissioned to lead them out of Egypt. And they go into the wilderness and God just, they're just not ready to fight. I mean, God wants them to take the land, but they're just not ready. And so as they, in their infancy, begin to come out of Egypt, you begin to see every time God would put them to the test like he is here, they just would fail. And you think about our life, you know, when we're young in the Lord, a lot of times we fail. We, when we're young in the Lord, we, we grumble and we complain. And, we, and this is what they were doing. Every time a hardship would come, they would complain and grumble. And it didn't take much of one sometimes, just a little bit of one. And they had this special phone. You said, well, man, I don't know that they had a phone in the wilderness because Bell, I'm pretty sure, hadn't came along yet. They had this phone, and it had a speed dial button on it. And it said, Moses. And you push that button, and Moses would appear. Okay, it really didn't happen that way, but that seems like what it is. Very close to our speed dial. If I'm thirsty, what do I do? Push the button. Moses, we're thirsty. Moses is this phone, and he's got 600,000 fighting men in the wilderness all thirsty. Moses, Moses, Moses like, I can't keep answering this line. We're hungry. Push the button. Moses. Where you at, Moses? And every time you turn around, God puts him to a test, and it's Moses. 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 Moses, can you help us? Moses, can you do this? Moses, can you do this? Moses, why did you bring us out here? Why did you deliver us from Egypt? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And in their infancy, in one place it says they believed in God. Right after the Red Sea deliverance, it says they believed in God and they believed in Moses. And God wanted them to believe in God. Because Moses took a lot of abuse. Moses went through a lot. Moses constantly cried to God, I can't bear this anymore. And God was going to try to teach them to trust Him. To believe God can take him through. And so this is what happens. He finally, and I, and I believe it's symbolic for us of that 
young, you know, that old spirit of us that don't trust God. I mean, no, we all have to shed that. You know, if we want to, if we want to be a butterfly, which I want to be a butterfly, of course, I want to be beautiful. You're picturing me as a beautiful butterfly right now. We got to shed the ugly caterpillar, the furry little hairy caterpillar. All right. And so God wants that old man to die in the wilderness, what I was preaching about last week, and He wants us to rise up and fly. He wants us to take off as a church. He wants to see you rise up as a believer and a new person and a new creation that trusts God with everything. And so as that man dies in the wilderness, all that died in the wilderness, that trusting in things besides God, And God begins to lead him into the promised land. Okay? And this is like, like this is just all victory. Alright? Everywhere they turn, they have a whole generation of people that's ready to take the land. They have a whole generation that trusts God even though they haven't seen miracles. They have a whole generation that's just ready to go in and fight. And He leads them in and there's, there's a victory there. And I started thinking to myself, Where would I feel more secure at? Because there's two kinds of leaders here. There's one that is a national leader, Joshua. Joshua leads into the land and they win everywhere they go. God says, I'm going to win a victory everywhere you go. And you see this national Israel is unstoppable. And sometimes you'll see a, a, you know, you'll see a godly nation rise up and it'll just be revival all over the land. Then comes the period of the judges. And this is a dark time. And now they're no longer in a small group like a flock being led through the wilderness by Moses. Now they went in the land with Joshua and now they've taken the land. And so now they're spread out. Now they've got tribes all over the land occupying the land and now God is going to have to teach them uh, you no longer have, you, you never see him saying, Joshua, I'm thirsty. Joshua, I'm hungry. Joshua, I need this. Joshua, I need that because they're spread out in tribes. And so now God is trying to tell them the importance of, in fact, he was trying to tell them from the beginning. At one point, God's spirit comes upon all the elders of Israel and they're all prophesying. And Aaron says, make them stop, make them stop. And Moses said, I would to God that every person would prophesy. He wanted God's Spirit to be poured upon everybody. And so he said, I would that everybody would prophesy. And God was trying to tell him, you need your Spirit upon you. We need 50 Moseses. We need a 100 Moseses. We need a Moses in every household. And what God is saying is, I'm raising up leaders and that's what this book is about. I don't know if I'd rather be in a nation that has revival and have no leader in the house, or I'd rather have a leader in the house and live in the middle of darkness. You think about that. And right now they're living in darkness, but God is raising up leaders in the household, and those leaders in the household are so powerful that they're being free from oppression. They're being freed from the enemy. These leaders are being risen up in the worst darkness. I think I would rather be in the middle of a hostile nation right now where you can't preach the gospel and you can't live it publicly without threat of death and have a leader in the household than live in a nation where we think we're okay but we don't have leaders in the household. And this book's all about raising up leaders 
who are going to go against the enemy and are not going to be afraid and not going to back up an inch and are going to move forward no matter what's standing in front of them. And that's what this book is about. And so God raises up Joshua. The Spirit of God is all over him. They win everywhere they go and the elders around him are powerful. In fact, the Bible says that when Joshua dies and the elders, we got a problem. Because when Joshua and the elders die, then the nation has no spiritual leadership. And when you don't have leaders, you're in trouble. And so God wants to begin to raise up leaders now. So in the book of Judges, he's literally detailing. He goes in and he, and he, and he, and he goes in chapter 1 and verse 19. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I should look at my notes more often. He told him under Moses' leadership in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Now remember, Moses, the book of Joshua is about a 35-year period. So Moses is about to die. He's giving his final addresses before he dies in Deuteronomy. He's giving his final sermons as the leader of this nation. He's encouraging what's coming ahead for them. Joshua takes over in that 35-year period. He completely, uh, the conquest, it's the book of victory, the book of conquest. And he takes all this land in the promised land. And so that 35-year period, Moses is now in the background. He's now a forefather. He died 35 years ago. But Moses had an amazing statement here. He said, when the Lord brings you into the land, you are entering to possess... And he drives out the many nations, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations that are larger and stronger than you. You hear that? They're stronger than you. If I don't have the Spirit of God upon me, those nations are stronger than me. These demons, these principalities in high places, you think you can outsmart them? They're stronger than you. But with the Spirit of God upon me... I'm powerful to the tearing down of every single stronghold. There's not an enemy that can stand in front of me, but without the Spirit of God, I'm like Samson with a haircut. You know, Samson's hair symbolized his Nazarite vow, his holiness before God. It wasn't the hair. It was a separation to God. And when they cut that, it symbolized he was being cut off from a separation from God. He was physically doing what was physically happening to his hair. But God, God gave them some commands here. And he says, and the Lord God has delivered those nations over to you. And you have, def- when God de- delivers the nations over to you and you have defeated them, see, it hasn't happened yet. Moses is saying, it's going to happen. You're going to possess the land. You're going to overcome the enemies. And when this happens and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Don't make any treaties with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters and your sons to take them in marriage, for they will turn your children away from me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly be destroyed. Uh, This is Deuteronomy 7, 1-6. So Moses is telling them in advance, like 35 years in advance, what's going to happen. 
He says, when you get in the land, make sure that you don't do certain things. In fact, the quick list is, possess the land, destroy the nations that are there, make no peace treaties with them, show them no mercy, refuse to intermarry with them, and completely destroy every trace of their pagan religion. Now see, remember, this is not flesh and blood. When you go to the New Testament, it's principalities in high places. So what God's trying to say is when we begin to serve God, we're not playing around with the sin thing. We're not playing around with uh, principalities in high places. We're not fooling around when it comes to God telling us to be obedient to Him. We know that God is doing it because He loves us. And He doesn't want us to take on the practices of those who are around us. God wants us to win the lost, but God wants to make sure that we stay devoted to Him while we're winning the lost. That makes sense. Praise God. So God gives them specific instructions, and the scripture that I just read said what? It says that the nations, this is 35 years after Moses says it, these are the nations that God left to test the Israelites. Now, where did those nations come from if they destroyed all of them? I'll get to that in a minute. Where did these nations come from that are left there? Because they were supposed to go in and wipe everything out. And it's kind of an example to us. It's like, God, I know this is not something in my life that you want. Now, it's different when it's an addiction and you're fighting this thing. But sometimes we just say, I'll be easy on that one. I know it's wrong, but just a little thing. And see, that's what they were doing. They would go in and they say, well, those people aren't that bad, but God said wipe out that whole pagan religion. Because if you don't, it'll destroy you. And so we're just like this. This is the example for us is, you know, if there's something in our life that we know is not right and we can remove it, but we're just like, hey, you know what, everybody else around me is doing it. All the other people around me are doing it. And I'm just going to keep on doing it. Well, God's saying, yeah, don't leave that. They'll come back and wipe you out. Wipe your kids out. Wipe your grandkids out. It's a dangerous thing. So anyway, it says that the nations that were left to test the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, then it goes down mentions the names, and it says they were left to test them. Uh, verse 5 says the Israelites were among, they were living among the Canaanites. And then it says they were giving their daughters in marriage to the Canaanites, and they were also uh, taking them in marriage. So everything that Moses told them not to do, that's what they were doing. And so everything that God said would happen, in fact, he said that um, if you do this, I will burn hot against you. You know that that literally in the Hebrew means flaring of the nostrils. My wife pointed something out several years ago. When I'm mad, even when I act like I'm not mad, she said I used to flare my nostrils. And so it's a definite sign that somebody is mad when you see that happen. And this is the, somebody else do that? How many of you here flare your nostrils when you're mad so I'll know? Wally, I'm going to watch for that. You do that? Anybody else? Just me and Wally? Yeah, you do? All right. But you know, God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. If he's upset with sin then, he doesn't want to give them over to their enemies. He doesn't want to. He's begging them not to. In fact, uh, he spends a lot of time, he says, uh, 
This is um, verse 7. I didn't even get down to <clears throat> verse 7. He says, uh, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other people. You see that? He set his affection on them. And it says, Because you were more numerous, because you were the fewest of all the people. It was because the Lord loved you and kept his oath, he swore to your ancestors and brought you with his mighty hand, redeem you out of the land of slavery for the power, um, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord God is God. He is faithful. He is a faithful God. He keeps his covenant of love to a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. So he's stressing with Moses here that I really love you. I set my affection on you. I don't want you to be harmed. But, you notice he said a thousand generations? That is an innumerable term. How long could you couldn't have a thousand generations? The only way you can have a thousand generations is if that is saying eternity. You mean to tell me if there's a leader in my household and we are obedient to God that my family will be blessed for eternity? That's what he's saying. You know, sin might damage you for three or four generations, but if you're faithful, you'll be blessed for eternity. That's awesome. Incredible. So anyway, he goes in and they begin to leave here and, and everything he tells them to do, they don't do. Now they're intermarrying with a pagan religion. Okay, this has to do with, this, this, the equivalent to this is, I don't care who I marry, whether they're a Christian or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to marry that person because I'll win them to the Lord. This is basically what they're doing. This has nothing to do with other nations. It has more to do with their religion because at this point, uh, Israel is like a whole mixture of several nations that came out of Egypt. And they're saying these people have no regard for God. They have no love for God. They have no devotion to God. And you're just going to allow them to marry just anybody. They're, they're, they're basically saying, God, I don't care. I don't care if they serve God their life. I don't care what they do. I'm going to give them marriage to these people that should have not even been here in the first place. And so anyway, you go in the book of Judges and God makes a real emphasis here. He starts in chapter 1, verse 19, and he goes all the way down uh, to verse 34. So from 19 to 34, and I'm going to read it in a second, but 119, it talks about Judah's failure. This is different tribes of Israel. Benjamin is 121. Joseph's tribe is 122 to 26. Manasseh is 127. Ephraim is 129. Zebulun is 130. Asher is 131. So in a matter of about 14 verses, he pinpoints every tribe and says where they've turned their back on God. Let me read it to you. And by the way, pay close attention to this. These are the nations that are left that should have never been there. Okay, it says... The Lord was with the men of Judah. This is verse 19. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove the three sons of Anak out of there. Those are the giants. So they took the land. They had the ability to take all of it, but they didn't because this one group was really powerful and they had chariots of iron. So they let them stay. You see one little pocket there where they're allowed to stay. Compromise. The next one, Benjamin. 
It says in um, verse 21 of chapter 1, The Benjamites did not drive the Jebusites out. They were living in Jerusalem, and to this day the Jebusites still live there with the Benjamites. So they could have driven them out, but they decided not to. They thought they were smarter than God. So they say, let's let them stay there. The next one was Joseph. It said the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. You see, the Lord's with them through all of this. He said, take it all. You know, listen to exactly what Moses said. And it says, when they sent men to spy Bethel, it was formerly called Luz, right? L-U-Z. So they go in and take Bethel. They rename it because it was formerly called L-U-Z. And it says, when they came in, it said, show us how to get in the city and we will treat you well. So this man showed them how to get into the city and they spared him and his family because of it. It said, that man then went to the land of the Hittites where he built another city called L-U-Z, Luz. So they let this man go and he just rebuilt the city. God said, don't make treaties with them. Don't compromise with them. Then he goes a little farther. Do you think this is important if God catalogs everybody that compromised here? God's trying to make a point of how I raise up leaders. I'm raising up leaders here because they wouldn't listen to me. And they fell right into the trap I told them not to fall into. How many times do we do that? How many times that we, we walk into this place and we say, God says, let's get rid of that pessimistic attitude. And we say, well, it brings me a lot of comfort. I like the attention I get from it. Uh, somebody said, don't talk about this. I like my pessimistic attitude. I want my pessimistic attitude. But see, I have to deal with it. Because if you leave that enemy there, that enemy will cut your throat. That enemy will destroy you as fast as any other enemy if I let you keep Mr. Pessimism. He will go and rebuild another city after you've had victory there and then he'll call it pessimism. You say, but pessimism, pessimism, that's just my personality. Now, go back to the Perizzites. I like the Perizzites and the Jebusites. That's less personal of a pronoun. Right? Pessimism. The Pessimites. How about the Anxietyites? I would rather have the cares of the world. Man, there's nothing wrong with being a worry wart. I've been a worry wart my whole life. Won't you leave it back in Egypt? Don't hate me, people. Please don't hate me. This is not my message. I sit up all night. If it were my message, I would just come in here and say what I wanted to say. But I sit up all night to try to hear what God wants to say to this church. You know, if we hold on to the anxiety and we let it live, what is it going to do? The Bible says it chokes out the Word of God and destroys your life. So God is calling us. God is raising up leaders. I'm not your Moses. He's raising you up to wipe out anxiety because God doesn't want His children to live in the same land where anxiety lives. He doesn't want His children to live in the same land pessimism lives. If pessimism is in your land, boot it out every morning. Get rid of it. God doesn't want it here. God doesn't want you to live in the land of unbelief. The unbeliefites are powerful. Alright? Fear. They have the iron chariots. God doesn't want them to live in your land. God doesn't want you to walk in fear. Why? Because God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He gave you the spirit of a sound mind and power. 
Praise God. So God is asking him and he's detailing. He's saying, this is what every one of these nations did that I did not like. And he goes to the next tribe. Joseph attacked Bethel, let the guy go. He goes and rebuilds the same city. Then the next one is Manasseh in verse 22. It says, Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tamith or Dor or Ibleam or Megiddo and the surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Who's determined to live in your land? The enemy. Canaanites is too general. I don't like Canaanites. Who's trying to live in your land? Who is trying to possess the territory that God wants you to have? Who is it? I can't tell you. The Holy Spirit can tell you, though. It's holding you back from blessing. Okay, and you go down the list. Ephraim is the next one. Ephraim is verse 29. Ephraim did not drive out uh, those living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. You see the last one there, uh, Manasseh, they ended up uh, forced labor. They, they didn't get rid of them. They just said, let's force them to be our laborers. Let them stay. Well, now they overtook them, and now they're the laborers because they didn't listen to God. Zebulun is the next one. He did not drive out the Canaanites that lived in Kytron or Nihilal, uh, so the Canaanites lived among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. Do you see what they're doing here? They're compromising. You say, oh, well, you know, I just, man, I'll get up and I'll look at that, you know, those dirty pictures I'm not supposed to look at. And you say, but I'm in control. But yeah, they might be your laborer and serving you right now, but guess what? You're going to end up serving them. Just like it happened here. Man, I went personal again. I'm sorry. I love you guys. How many know that it's not a very popular thing, my messages? They're not glowing messages. Man, how much do we need this? We need to make sure the enemy is rooted out at every corner. Because here's the problem. Here's the problem. I go and list the rest of these tribes here, what they didn't run out. Their mistakes and their failures is now on this generation that's learning how to fight. So your problems of your parents and your grandparents are going to be upon you. How many have been there? Every issue that grandma, grandpa, dad, everything that they allowed to live, and you say, well, man, that's good because I'm learning how to fight. Sometimes there can be so many enemies that come from your family that it's almost hard to fight. There's enemies everywhere because nobody ever rooted them out. Nobody rooted, at least this last generation rooted out a lot of the enemies and just left a few. Some families, nobody roots a single enemy out. So, man, they've got drug addiction. They've got heroin addiction. They've got alcohol addiction. And see, what God is raising up is people that are not afraid to fight. People that can overcome every enemy. People that will be leaders in their household, in their community, in their church. And everybody says, I want Moses. I'd rather just call Moses. Moses, I've got this enemy. What do we do? Moses, I don't have water. Moses, I don't have food. God wants to take away your speed dial. God wants us to face the enemy and not turn them back away. 
God wants us to root out our generation's enemies. God wants this nation to stand up against evil because we're not doing it. We're not standing up against evil in our nation. We've got a dark nation because Christians are backing away. Christians are afraid to face them. Christians are afraid to tell somebody something different than what they're living. Christians are afraid to say, that's wrong. I don't want to offend anybody. We're a seeker church. We're afraid to call out the enemy. We're afraid to call out the enemy. And because of that, the enemy is surrounding this nation. They're coming in more and more. We're living among them. The enemy's taking up residence in our land. Do you sense it? Do you feel it around you? So God's going to raise up leaders. And this should be crying out to us. I want to be one of those people. I want to be one of those people. So who does God raise up? The first one I like, I can almost justify the first one. Second and third one, I don't know. But I'm only going to give you three of them. Do you know that God gives 12 examples, 13 if you include Samuel, 12 different judges that he raised up from all the different geography of the nation to show you that if there's a leader in the land, you can overcome the enemy in your area. If there is a leader in the house, Jesus said it this way, if there's a strong man in the house, the enemy won't go to that house. If there's no strong man in the house, the enemy will take up residence in your house. And so he's trying to tell us, here's leaders that I raised up, and he intentionally uses people that don't even look like they should be leaders. They're all flawed. They all have major flaws with them. And God puts His Spirit upon them, He says, and they do mighty things and tear down strongholds. And there's peace in the land for 40, sometimes 80 years. That's a long time. But God wants to raise up leaders, the book of leaders. I love that. The book of leaders. Man, I want to read the book of leaders today because I want to be one of them. And you're going to read this and you're going to say, man, I can be one, I guess, too. Now, the first one is actually the best of the group here. His name is Othniel. Othniel. And as you begin to read about Othniel, you can read about him, Judges 3, verses 1 through 11. I read 1 through 7, about or 5, where they're at currently, or 6. But here it starts in 7 with Othniel. Because they had been... They, they became wicked and did all the things that Moses told them not to do, so he raises up a leader. And that's what he's trying to do in this house. The more leaders we can raise up in this house, you say, well, what's it mean when you say, we're raising up leaders? Am I going to be running a program? Am I going to be leading something in front of people? No, you're going to stand up for God, and you're going to live it every day, and you're going to be a leader in your generation, a leader of righteousness, You're going to be a spiritual leader and you're not going to sink down when the enemy comes against your family, against you, against your nation, against your church. I need leaders in this church. I need people that aren't assisting and abetting the enemy and are actually standing and fighting against the enemy. I'm tired of people standing in church fighting with the enemy. I'm tired of a vicious enemy coming in here destroying the church and we're fighting with the enemy. We're helping the enemy. We're giving him resources. That's like ISIS coming into my nation, and I'm, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, here's my address book. 
know, here's people that are vulnerable. Here's when they're at work. We can't do that anymore. We've got to work together. We've got to try to build this thing together. We've got to fight together against the same enemy. And that enemy is not people. That enemy is principalities in high places. They'll work through your mom. They'll work through your dad. They'll work through your brother. They'll work through your sister. They'll work through your pastor. They'll work through your, your teachers. But we're on the lookout for the enemy. We don't want the enemy in here. We want to fight the enemy together. We want to overcome the territory that the enemy is trying to take in our church, in our house, in our nation. So Othniel was raised up and it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Does that sound like our nation? They forgot the Lord. They're God and they served the bells and the asterisks. The what? Anger of the Lord. The Lord doesn't get angry. No, the Lord just pets puppy dogs all the time. God is the most loving person you will ever know. He is the most loving person you will ever know. And some people go to such an extreme that he's just handing out balloons and and suckers. You know, and petting puppy dogs and giving ice creams. He is the most loving person you will ever know. But sin makes God his nostrils flare. He doesn't give you over to the enemy. He doesn't do anything to harm your life. He begs you and begs you and begs you to stay away from evil. But evil, God knows, will destroy your life and everybody around you. So God hates evil. And God's nostrils flare and He gets angry about evil. He loves people. He hates evil. Because evil hurts people. So we got to get a balance here. You say, well, God would never tell somebody that their life is... Sinful. God would never do anything to tell somebody they're going down the wrong road. Well, my God loves people. My God wants people to know that He can heal their life. My God wants people to know that they're going down the wrong road. My God wants people to know that that road leads to heroin addiction. To heroin addiction. That doesn't happen around here, does it? You think my God would let somebody go down that road heading toward alcohol addiction, heroin addiction. You think he'd let them go down that road and not tell them where that road leads? I wouldn't do that if I loved somebody. My God is a loving God and His nostrils flare about sin. It says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so so that He sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishnathim. His name literally means double uh, sinful, double wicked. He's twice wicked. He's more wicked than anybody else twice. Okay, very wicked man. God allowed them to go to him and be in bondage to him for eight years, it says. They were subject to him for eight years and they cried out to the Lord. Now look, they repented and they cried out. Sometimes you'll go down that road and you'll, you'll be away from God and the enemy begins to attack you and begins to destroy you. And the minute they cry out to God, God raises up a leader. And his name is Othniel. Othniel, I, I like that name because I know what it means. So they cried out and he raised them up, a deliverer or a savior is what that means. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Remember Caleb? 
He saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He became Israel's judge or their leader, and he went to war. The Lord gave the king into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. Remember, they're too powerful for them. But he had the Spirit of the Lord upon him, and he overpowered the enemy who had them in bondage. Now get this. Write this in your notes. Othniel means the Lion of God. And he's from the tribe of Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is the first judge he raises up and says, He is your Savior, His Deliverer, the Spirit of God is upon Him to set you free. Othniel, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, I kept praying about this a couple weeks ago. Things trouble me when I read in the Bible. And I kept saying, man, why? I know why Joshua is one of the ones that was allowed to go into the promised land. But why the other guy? You guys remember we were studying that, and I kept saying that to myself, why Caleb? There's something about Caleb that I need to know. This is Caleb's younger brother, or if you look at the Hebrew, it could actually be his nephew. And he ascended to his father's spot when he died, and they called him his younger brother. But It's either his nephew or his brother. Caleb was a lion, and he was from the tribe of Judah. Caleb had a lion spirit about him, a lion like a lion from the forest, not a lying to somebody, not telling the truth, but he was a lion. He would roar. And you know, he was an old man. He was like 85 years old, and he said, I'm as strong as an ox. And they said, well, you still want that city that has all the giants? He said, let me at him. I'm ready. I'm 85 years old, and I'm going to take the city. There was a spirit in Caleb that God wants us to have. Joshua had a spirit that took the land, but Caleb was a lion. He was caged up and he was saying, let me at the enemy, let me go at them. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how old I am. And God raised him up to wipe out the enemy. And some of you aren't excited because you don't know what the enemy's doing. You haven't seen the enemy destroy lives. You haven't seen people on their deathbed because of heroin. You haven't seen families destroyed by the enemy. And I'm telling you, there's a spirit of the tribe of Judah, and it's Jesus Christ. And when that spirit gets in you, there's not an enemy that can stand in front of you. And this church needs to get that spirit. We need leaders who are going to rise up, and they're going to say, look, I'm not going to let the enemy stand in front of me anymore. I'm not going to let these foolish things divide God's people. We're going to march out like an army, and we're going to go against the enemy. We're going to destroy the enemy in every turn. I don't care how big they are. I don't care how big the problem is. God has put the spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah in Caleb. And his younger brother, Caleb, looked around and Caleb took the whole city of the giants. He said, I've been waiting all, I've been waiting 40 years to come in here and finish my work. You know, he looked down on that mountain. He looked over that mountain at those giants. The other spies said, we can't take it. Caleb said, tell me when. Caleb said, when we go in the land, you know what I want? I want the land that has the big grapes. I want the land that flows with milk and honey. I want the land that the giants are sitting on my property. Forty years later, he said, I'm still ready. I'm 85 years old. Here's why Othniel was a very unusual person to have there. Caleb is long gone. Caleb is one of those elders that died. The, the, The nation was getting backslid again. Othniel was 75 years old. When he was a young man, Caleb said, I just took the cities of the giants. There's another city there called Debir. He says, anybody here want to take that city for me? 
Guess who rose up? A young Othniel. But I'll take it. You say, you're, you're cocky. You're arrogant. I'm nobody. I told you my genealogy, didn't I? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. But you know what? I got the Spirit of the Lord upon me. Without the Spirit of the Lord, the enemy would wipe me out. With the Spirit of the Lord, I got a spiritual cockiness you wouldn't believe. I've got the lion of the tribe of Judah inside of me and there's nothing that can stop me. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, why did David dance the way he did? Because it's God delivered him over every enemy. There is a spiritual, there's a spirit that comes upon you and the enemy don't look so big anymore. David went from, everybody else said the giant was too big and David said, how can I even miss him? He's so big. Do you understand the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and there's a confidence that comes from heaven that no man can put in you? Othniel had it. So when he was a young man, he said, I'll take the beer. Yeah. And he went and took it. Caleb took all the giant cities. Now he's an old man. So who am I going to raise up as a spiritual leader in this dark place called America? 75-year-old Othniel. That's my man. That's my man. And he's like, walking like I was yesterday after working here all day. He's walking and he's like, he's like, that's your deliverer? He's like, test me out, buddy. <laughs> he was ready to go. Some of you know what I'm talking about because spiritually you've got that spirit. It's like, man, I want to go against the enemy. I'm tired of the enemy. I'm tired of the enemy destroying people's lives. Some of you, when I came to the Lord, I had three friends that killed themselves. Three suicides around me. And you know what? Something inside of me said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of preserving myself. I'm tired of doing everything for myself. I'm just sick of it. I want to live for God. I don't want another person around me to have that same thing happen. I want to live for God. And the courage of God came in me and I quit caring about myself. Oh, but you know, I'm going to do everything I can to cut you down and hurt you and do this. I don't care. I don't care about myself. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you think about my messages. I really don't. Some of you know that's obvious, right? I don't care how much is in the offering plate. Why? Because my God is bigger than an offering plate. You say, well, I'm not going to pay any money. I don't care. Don't pay any money. Keep your attitude. I don't care. Do you understand? I really don't care. All I care about is going against the enemy. If we can get a group of people that think that way, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. The next one, he... That, that was my best guy there, my 75-year-old warrior. The second judge he raises up is a man named Ehud. And Ehud, you can read about him. Judges chapter 3, verse 12 is the very next one after uh, Othniel. Listen to this. Once again, the Israelites did evil. So how many? how long was the period of time that Othniel brought peace? Forty years. For forty years they were at peace and no enemies because of one man's godly lifestyle. One little lion who was an old man brought peace till the day that he died. And you say, well, man, did that happen? You think there are some men or women, some moms and dads who have lived for God their whole life? You think they brought peace to their family for forty years sometimes? Oh, I think so. There's some godly people that were lions 
And because of their walk in the Lord, it encouraged and strengthened and gave a spirit to their children that lasted for a lifetime. 40 to 80 years, that's a lifetime. Praise God. And then Ehud. Look at this. Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did evil, God, the Lord gave Eglon, the king of Moab, power over the Israelites, getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join them. Oh, we got a problem here. Three armies. Three armies are coming against them, and this is not just any armies, it's their relatives. Woo! Coming from within. This is their relatives. This is Lot's relatives from Abraham, and this is um, um, Esau, which is a twin brother of Jacob. This is all family. This is uh, very similar to the flesh. Okay, a lot of commentators will say this is symbolic of an attack from your flesh. All right? And it says that they three armies bound together and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to that king. The city of Palms is Jericho. The first place that we won. Think about it. We're going backwards here. I won a victory. My first victory was Jericho. The walls fall down. We take possession. So where's the enemy go? All the way back to your first victory. And something in your flesh is destroying you. It may be lust. It may be anger. Just something old from the past. And God's saying it just keeps rising up. It's something from within. And this, this, it's three armies. Not just one. Now it's three. And there's a battle. How many have ever been hot in that battle? It's like these things inside of me. I'm fighting. I'm failing. I'm fighting. I'm failing. Fighting and failing. God put you in that place to teach you to fight. Why? Because somebody else is going to face that same battle and we need leaders that have learned how to win. I don't care how many times you failed. God wants to teach you to win. Because when you win, everybody wins. When you defeat the enemy, you teach us how to defeat the enemy. When you win, everybody wins. So we're going in and Eglon is there and he's a gigantic, massive man. Ehud comes in and it says he's left-handed. Man, what does that mean? Well, commentators begin to study in it. It literally means he's bound in his right hand. In fact, it's mentioned in Judges a couple of times. The Benjamites were left-handed. And it goes on to say they were ambidextrous. It means they trained where they would tie their right hand down so they would be ambidextrous, which made them greater warriors. This guy wasn't ambidextrous. This guy just didn't have use of his right hand. Aha, aha. He's disabled. Let me find my next judge, my next leader. I don't know if he had a stroke. I don't know if he had cerebral palsy. Ehud did not have use of his right hand. He was bound in his right hand. That's what the Hebrew says. So he only had his left hand. But that same lion spirit was in him. Like, I'm tired of the enemy. Well, you're my leader. You say, well, I've got a disability. I've got a friend right now. When we were 17 years old, he was in an automobile accident. became a paraplegic. I remember being in high school. I wasn't a Christian. And we all thought his life was over. He didn't have any movement from his neck down. He's since had five kids. We got more fellowship in our Christian faith than we had when we were in high school. He's raised a family. He is a spiritual powerhouse in his house. He kept me. He was my assistant coach in football, baseball, and basketball. 
hasn't moved his hand since he was 17. He said, well, I can't be a spiritual leader. I got this going on, and I got that going on, and I got this going on, and I got that going on. And and Chad, if you're going to be my leader, tell me it's okay. Everybody's like, he's getting ready to get loud. He's getting ready to be really loud. So I don't like the fact that you get loud over that. I'd rather keep my excuses. If you let that excuses live in your land, you just keep being disabled. Because your disability is probably not as great as Ahud's and probably not as good as my friend's. He hadn't moved an arm since uh, 17. But lives for God. Homeschooled all of his kids. Wow. 46 years old. Happened when he was 17. So am I supposed to let you leave excuses in your land, the excuseites? Let them live there? Oh, but you don't understand. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. I understand that God is looking for fighters. Fighters. You made a mistake. You brought a fighter in here. If you wanted me to let excuses stay, I can't do that. God can't do it. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. No, just pamper me. Pamper me and pat me on the head and say it's okay and then I won't be mad at you. You're just going to have to be mad at me. Because God wants you to be a fighter. There's no other way around it. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Because he said, put on all this weapon of warfare. You're going to need the sword. You're going to need the helmet. You're going to need the breastplate. You're going to need this around your legs. There's a fight. But I want to ignore it. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight the way you, you're telling me to fight. Well, don't fight. See what happens. The enemy will overwhelm you. The enemy will overwhelm your family. The enemy will, the Spirit of God has to come upon us. Or we're dead meat. We really are. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, we're undefeated. We can't be defeated. We can't be defeated. So here comes Ehud. And this story means nothing unless you know he's disabled and he can only use his left hand. Because he comes in the door... And they let him get by with a knife on his hip because he can't use his right arm. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, let Ehud in. We don't need to check him. Ehud says they're going to pay tribute to this king. They're they're basically servants. They have to pay a lot of money to this king because they're under servitude to him. And he says, hey, king, uh, i got something, a secret that I want to tell you. The king says, oh, all right. This is a gory story too. It's terrible. He goes to the bathroom all over himself and locks himself in the bathroom. Anyway, this guy comes in and pulls that knife out. He's only got one good arm. Pulls the knife out and stabs him. And that was the end of the enemy. He said, well, what's that mean? Am I going to stab somebody? No, don't never stab anybody. This is spiritual principalities in high places. If somebody leaves here and thinks that I'm recommending shanks in your boot, you're missing the story. All right, we don't do that. But what I am saying is, it's time to put an end to the enemy's reign. And this is a man who was disabled who said, I'll do it. He's a lion. I love his spirit. Ehud was a... Do you see what God's doing here? He's taking people that you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think that that guy would be his spiritual leader. But he was. Is that encouraging? Yes, it is. The next one's not much better. 
He only gets one verse, Shamgar. I love his name. Verse 31 of chapter 3, it says, After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox gold. He too saved Israel. Shamgar was from another tribe. He's just going through each tribe giving examples. These weren't the only 12. He's just giving examples of different leaders that I raised up in a dark time. You ought to see your name on there. You ought to say to yourself, that's me, I'm the leader. You know, I'm, I'm going to step up and I'm going to be that person in my family. Shamgar had an ox gold. In order to understand Shamgar and why he's so unusual, you have to understand what an ox gold is. It's just a long rod that has a tip on it for poking the, the uh, cattle and making them move. And then the other end has a little shovel type of thing that knocks the clay off of your plow. Ever plowed and you get clay on it, just all sticking? Well, it's got a piece to knock that off and it's got another piece to poke them so they keep moving. Well, why is that important? It's important because the Philistines took all of their weapons of warfare away. They had the iron chariots, they had the power, they had the strength. There was no way you could beat them. No way you could beat them. You couldn't have any weapons. So here he is, a shepherd. Amen. That all speak to you. He's a shepherd. He's doing his work, minding his own business. Philistine comes in. We don't have any weapons. Everybody throws their ox gold down and runs. Somehow this farmer, who's your uh, who's your leader going to be? Farmer with the ox gold. I don't know how he did it. He used it as a weapon. He used it as a weapon. The Spirit of God came upon him and he took a weapon and you say, well, man, what's that say to me? God says that you have the ability, you have the resources to overcome the enemy. You say, well, I don't have anything. He didn't either. There was no weapons. There was no ability to make weapons. He used an ox gold. The Spirit of God came upon him and he became the leader God was looking for to overcome Philistines. This is the area of land where the Philistines are, and God said, you can be my leader. He said, well, I'm not influential. I don't have a great job. I don't have this. I don't have that. And God's saying, you're my warrior. Whatever is in your hand, I'll turn it into a weapon. But all I have is a jawbone of a donkey. Jawbone of a donkey, that's your weapon? Samson's another, another judge. He has issues too. Everybody here, these judges all have issues. But the Spirit of God came upon them. Do you remember the, the, the message I spoke about Deborah? She's one. This is weird. This is unusual because God usually doesn't pour His Spirit upon women in that period of time. That was her thing. She was a woman. But the Spirit of God came upon Deborah. The Spirit of God came upon a handicapped man. Spirit of God came upon a farmer. Spirit of God came upon a 75-year-old man. Does it sound familiar to you? The Bible says that your sons and your daughters, the Spirit of God, will come upon them and they will be mighty. They will tear down strongholds. There will be a revival in the land, but we've got to get the Spirit of God upon us. We've got to have the Spirit of the Lion inside of us. And we can't be scared of the enemy. We can't back up. We can't be scared of the people that we go to work with and say, well, they're not going to like me. We love, we love them. 
We love them no matter what we have to do. I'm going to treat my coworker like they're my son or my daughter. What would you want your son or daughter to be told if they were backslidden at work? You want them to know you love them. But there's some things that we have to be responsible to tell the people around us. We've got to love people. We've got to be willing to confront the enemy. We can't be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and His salvation. Stand to your feet, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, Lord, pour Your Spirit upon them, Lord. Lord, because we don't battle against flesh and blood, but principalities and high places. Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see the enemy, the power of the enemy, the destruction of the enemy. Give us those extra eyes, Lord God, that you gave that warrior when he could see the mighty angels all around, the chariots of God all around, the power of the Spirit all around. Oh, Father, anoint your people, Lord God, with fearlessness, Lord. Father, with a love, Lord God, that's not quenched by fear. A love, Lord God, that's not quenched by our lack of resources, Lord. Father, let them know that we are powerful to the pulling down of every stronghold. Oh, Father, your people have been anointed, Lord God. They've been anointed, Lord God, to set free the captives. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I just want to give you a few moments this morning. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord and you want to do it today. I just want to give you a place up at the altar here. Just don't be afraid to come on up here and we'll pray for you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, you can see me after the service. I don't want you to go on living without the Lord. The whole purpose of us being here is to invite you to the Lord. It's not me that's going to help you, but God will make you powerful in this life. Praise God. We're just going to worship the Lord. Oh, just begin to cry out to the Spirit. Oh, that God would empower this church, strengthen this church, that God would take away every division of this church, that God would empower us with a united spirit to go against the enemy. How many know we need that? Hallelujah. Praise God. tell you something real quick. Do you know that the disabled man, there was 80 years of peace because of one disabled man? 80 years. He was maybe one of the greatest of all the leaders. 80 years he set the enemy to flight. There's something you're struggling with. We need to go after it. We need to go against it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're struggling in an area. God wants to make you a leader. God wants to make you an overcomer. God doesn't want us to listen to the enemy. The enemy will say, back down. The enemy will say, take comfort in your losses. The enemy will say, it's okay, just let it go. But God wants to raise up leaders in this house. Strong men, strong women, strong elderly, strong young, strong disabled, strong healthy. God wants to raise us up to overcome the enemy.
turning back. Lord. What a perfect song. I love that the uh, prayer group is so in tune. The worship team is so in tune, Ryan. Appreciate you guys' faithfulness. There's the old uh, couple different military stories where uh, you see an army will come up on a battleground. And the military general, there's, there's a couple different stories where he told the men to look back and the ships that they arrived on shore with will be burnt to the ground. It's a military strategy. It means there's no turning back. We can't go back. We can't back up. I can't drop my ox gold in the ground and let the Philistines keep tearing us apart. There's no going back. When God's people resolve in their mind that I'm a Christian, and I'm not going back. I'm not going to halfway do it. I'm not going to live in the wilderness either. I'm going to live for God all the way. Sometimes... Our commander is the Lord. Sometimes he'll burn all the ships and he'll say, got to face the enemy. Got to beat the enemy, not just face them. I've already won your victory. There's a reason I redeemed you. There's a reason I brought you out of everything that I brought you out of. That's There's a reason I brought you out of everything I brought you out of. It's not to go back. It's not to revisit it. It's not to soothe yourself with it. It's to go back and defeat that enemy. Somebody else. Somebody else. My children, my grandchildren, my neighbors are not going to be defeated by the same enemy to wipe me out. I'm a victor. I'm an over overcomer. God is going to anoint you. That's going to anoint you raise you up. We're going to raise up leaders. We're going to write our own book of leaders. Your life. Hallelujah. Your life should be a book of leaders. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. You're with us. You're with us every step. Lord, the battle is not ours, it's yours. The battle is not lost, it's won. The enemy cannot stand against us, Lord. We thank you. That victory has already been won. Father, strengthen your people. Pour your spirit upon them, Lord. Father, let the courage that only comes from heaven, Lord God, let it come upon each and every one of us. I would to God that all God's people would prophesy. That they would all be leaders. That they would all have hearts of a lion. Pour that spirit out, Lord. So be it, Lord. 